Welcome to another episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, where we focus on building better businesses. I believe in order to be the best leader that you can be, you must be willing to be the first follower and have a servant mentality when you're in a leadership position. If you want to be the best leader that you possibly can be, be sure to stay tuned and listen to industry leaders and hear how they built winning cultures in their own businesses. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian McCormick, and we're going to talk about how he is taking Hummingbird Humanity and started creating just a wonderfully diverse and inclusion consultancy, making impacts throughout organizations. Before we get to a conversation with Brian, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by the Battle Space community. Head over to batactualleader.com, where we are focusing on bringing high-impact players together and trying to get folks from this community into one world where we can talk about amazing things such as diversity and inclusion, like the conversation we're about to have with Brian. Again, head over to beatacticalleader.com forward slash join. Brian, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much, Zach. I'm really delighted to be here. I am super excited to have you. I want to give the audience a, a little bit of an insight about you and your organization because um, you're actually one of the first ones we've had on the show to talk about diversity and inclusion. And it has really become a, a hot topic area in business as a whole. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening in. And just to give them an idea of who you are and what the organization is about, overall, you're a diversity and inclusion consultant, speaker, author, and facilitator. You have over 20 years of experience in DNI, HR, company culture, change management, internal communications, and employee experience. You're the founder and CEO of Hummingbird Humanity. Forward, uh, moving forward, we're going to just call it Hummingbird because you got a lot of hummingbirds that are some of your employees and teammates. And overall, it's a consulting firm that cultivates and champions inclusive workplace cultures and human-centered leadership, which I think is huge and is going to be a great conversation today. Before we dive into everything and all the great work you're doing with Hummingbird, why don't you tell the audience just a fun fact about yourself that we might not know that uh, we won't find on a bio or anywhere on the website? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind, recognizing that you have a military background, and I, I know that some of the those listening probably do as well, is that I am an Army brat. And I often say that I grew up in Berlin because my uh, dad and uh, family with my dad based there. We, my family spent five years there when I was in elementary school. And my dad and grandfather are both veterans. Man, that's awesome. It's an interesting world where I chose to go through basic training and get yelled at. Growing up, I would imagine you didn't choose uh, Pops and, and the, the family to be yelling at you. Is, is that something that really influenced your childhood where you had drill sergeant dad or drill sergeant grandpa kind of in, in the world? You know, that's a great question. And it's certainly not how I remember dad at all on the, I actually think that the approach that mom and dad took to, to raising us, they're both from uh, small Kansas towns. And I say us, my sister and, and me, they had a very clear commitment and expectation of us of treating other humans with respect and care. So like that, that's the, those are the messages that I remember about what life was like growing up with mom and dad. And certainly that has influenced, you know, the person I am today. I think the other thing that I learned a lot, and my sister and I talk about this even today, and at this point in our life journeys is the, you know, moving around from place to place as kids required us to develop the skills and capabilities to make new connections, get to know people and you know, engage with curiosity is the way we talk about it in the corporate context of, you know, getting to know new people. And I think that's also something that I've taken with me from that time. 
I find that really interesting because in my army experience, I really equate the military as a whole being, I would say, arguably the most diverse workplace we have in the United States, where you have people from every demographic, socioeconomic background. You have just everybody kind of thrown into one room and aligning with a common mission, which it sounds like a lot of what you work on in the diversity and inclusion world and that consulting world seems like that's right up your alley. That's the world you were brought up in. Tell us a little bit about, what, if we don't know what diversity and inclusion is, and especially the art of DEI, which is the diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a couple different realms in there, a couple things. Can you just define that as a whole for us? Sure, absolutely. So I'll start by defining uh, DEI, and then I'll share the twist that we take on it at Hummingbird. So the diversity is about who's in the room. So are there different... Other people with different backgrounds, lived experiences in the space. And when we think about diversity, many of us will first think about gender, and then we'll typically think about race and ethnicity. And those are, of course, key components. We can also think about sexual orientation or disability or religious or cultural beliefs and so on. There's so many different things that make us as humans unique and, and, and special. Uh, so the diversity is who's in the room. Inclusion is whether the people in the room are actually included in what's happening in that room. So you can be in a space and not part of the conversation or part of the activity, or you can have your, you know, or in a space where your voice isn't heard, or you might offer a suggestion and then someone sort of talks over you. You know, that's when you don't feel included, you feel excluded. So inclusion is how does everyone feel like they're actually part of whatever's happening in that space. And then equity is a is another sort of piece of the puzzle that is a bit more complex and there are different perspectives on how to solve for equity, but the, the core principle behind equity is that we don't all start from the same starting line. And that sometimes we would talk about it as systems of oppression that exist in the, the world around us that influence how we all show up, that, in, that influence the biases that we all have. Everyone has biases. And so those realities impact where we start on the starting line. And so some of us get a head start and some of us are starting a, you know, a few feet behind that actual starting line. And so the, the question with equity is, how do we correct for that reality that we're not starting from the same place? And, you know, the way that we, you know, we honor those definitions and those considerations at Hummingbird, the way that we try to think about the, the DEI conversation at Hummingbird, though, is that we're all humans. And so we, we have this philosophy that we refer to in a few different ways, but it's generally shared, shared humanity, individual experiences. So if we believe that every human wants to treat other humans with respect and care and consideration. And so we start with trying to help humans find connections and bridges of trust that are about some shared experience. Like, you know, Zach, you and I just had a conversation around, even though I haven't served in the military, we have a connection through that community. And so now we have a bridge that we didn't have a few minutes ago. And those bridges then allow us to start to understand each other's, the aspects of our, our experiences that are different. So if I talk about being a person with a disability or a person who is, is, is a member of the, the queer community, I can have those conversations. And you're like, oh, well, but Brian's someone I also have this other connection with, and I'd like to learn more about Brian and those parts of his experience that are different than mine. So our belief is that we can create that those spaces that are inclusive and diverse by helping um, find that shared humanity that opens the doors to the other conversations. I absolutely love that because I think it's something that is needed, obviously, even from military background. I was in law enforcement prior, so looking at the background I came from that are very diverse environments, they're still male-dominated, right? So when you start thinking about 
really having a diversity. You look at the female populace in a male-dominated industry like that. There might not be equity in, in that world for them. And a lot of that really moves into, obviously, your, your expertise. And I want to make sure that we mention that you have a book coming out um, called Humanity in the Workplace, a blueprint for building an inclusive and equitable company culture, which I think a lot of people talk about diversity and inclusion, but I'm fascinated by the equitable part because that's something that I hear diversity and inclusion a lot. That's really a hot topic right now. But the equitable piece almost sounds like it's really a big piece of that puzzle, if I'm understanding from the way you're explaining everything. Yeah, it really is. And so the book, well, first of all, thank you for mentioning the book. I appreciate that. And the book has been a concept that I have been considering and playing with and and workshopping in various ways for a decade. And there's a lot of the mess, you know, I've certainly learned a lot in the last 10 years, but a number of the core messages are fairly consistent during that, you know, over that time frame. The the part of the book that, and the message uh, that I cover is that has really shifted in the last 18 months as, you know, even as a DEI practitioner before, you know, the summer of 2020, when we all started to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in ways that we hadn't before, you know, I was a practitioner before that, but it, that moment in time challenged me to expand my perspectives and challenge my understanding of this work that I'm responsible for doing and that I want to do the best of my ability. And I have leaned into some learning and some opening my own perspectives. And, you know, for example, I'll, I'll mention one of the books I read is called Cast the Origins of Our Discontent. If you haven't read it, it is a painful read and an important read. And it, it explains the evolution of racism in our country in the United States. And it gave me some just perspectives that I didn't fully appreciate just you know before that moment in time. So we getting back to you know this book of I've always believed in this concept of how do we honor the workplace experience of humans? How do we help humans thrive in the workplace and the benefit for that offers to organizations? The addition back to the equitable point that you're raising or the question you're raising is if we don't understand those systems at the play that are preventing some humans from thriving, then we can't tackle those systems. We can't tear them down. We can't create better systems. So that understanding of how we're starting from different points in the finish line helps us create those environments where humans thrive. And I think awareness is one of those characteristics that humans in general have a tendency to lack, right? But leaders especially, you kind of lose that perception where, you know, a lot of times you always hear about, oh, we forgot where you came from, or she doesn't remember what it was like to be X, Y, and Z, right? As success happens over the years. And uh, I love that you're bringing the humanity aspect into it. And it sounds like this journey is something that obviously is very personable as every entrepreneur, every CEO has that relation back to like starting with why and, and there being a tie-in. Beyond the military, is there a catalyst that happened in your life way back when that has driven you to this mission where you really want to be able to create cultures that align with everything you're doing with Hummingbird? Yes, absolutely. You know, growing up, I always felt different than those around me. Now, for many years, I thought that was because I'm really tall and you can't you know, see me right now, Zach, but I'm six feet, six inches tall, but I was even tall as a kid. That's tall. That's, that's really tall. You don't look six feet tall sitting down for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I'm six, six. And wow. yeah, so I was tall even as a kid. And so I always thought that that was the difference was like, I'm just towering over others and that feels uncomfortable. And I was one of those humans and 
by the way, I think most of us feel this way that wanted to be part of whatever it is, part of the group, part of the team. And I always felt like an outsider. Ultimately, I figured out that I was gay and a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And so that helped me feel part of something. But that journey of figuring out my identity, I think is a key contributor to this, to the work that I do today. You know, the another big catalyst for me was I read a book in college called The Customer Comes Second by Hal Rosenbluth. And that book, which I'm talking about 25 years later, still clearly resonated with me and gave me a perspective on how creating, as the language I use today is how we create spaces where humans thrive, how that can benefit those humans, as well as benefit the success of an organization. So that was a a foundational belief in my journey. And, you know, as I've taken my career journey, I have found that there are, that most workplaces that I have been at, and I've worked at some great companies with some great people, but I didn't always feel like I fully fit or fully belonged or fully could be my authentic self. You know, I think what I get to do today is to take those experiences from the last 20 plus years and both my personal experiences and my professional experiences and offer some perspectives on how do we do it differently? What does it look like to create a workplace where humans can thrive? And so I'm excited to explore that. I will continue to learn as I also share the perspectives that I have. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And what a lot of people don't recognize, in my opinion, and I've done organizational leadership, coaching, training, consulting, uh, more from the operational standpoint, but more specifically, the first business I ever started was a physical security company, and we focused on environmental design, designing an environment of physical safety and security. But as I went through the years, I've had that business, uh, we've been in business about five years now. What I recognized is it didn't matter what system I implemented. It didn't matter what piece I implemented. There's always the human element attached to that, right? No matter what, there's always the humanity attached to it. And what people really craved was the psychological safety and security of, yes, the company spent half a million implementing all these amazing, great security features that nobody knows about. So what they really craved was the leadership team translating this into, all right, here's why this is important. Here's why you can feel safe showing up to work. Here's why this environment, this culture as a whole is a open and safe environment for you to perform your best. Definitely two different ends of the spectrum of how we approach it, but it sounds like what you're really focusing on in creating these cultures is that psychological safety and security where the leadership is that toxic, or you're, I'm not going to listen to you because you're a female or because you're a part of a different community than me or a different background than me. That's really what I feel like all of this is driving toward is creating that psychologically safe and secure place for peak performance. Is that really that realm of what you're creating in these organizations? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to give a nod to something you said a minute ago, and then I'll come back to this uh, psychological safety question is uh, this reference to leaders making decisions um, for the business and remembering the humans that are part of that. What I've seen happen more and more, more times than I can count is that the decisions are made based on this Excel spreadsheet that has some numbers on it. And we forget that every one of those numbers represents a person or a bunch of persons, a bunch of humans who've done work, who've given their blood, sweat, and tears. And it's like I they're think- looking at the matrix, the ones and zeros are just scrolling up and down the page, and you forget that there are people that make up those ones and zeros. 
Yeah, absolutely. So just rem I think that's one of those things is always remembering that behind every number is, you know, a human or a group of humans. And so I just wanted to, to make sure I mentioned that because I, I think that's something that is is one of those guiding principles of leadership that could be really helpful in how in shifting this conversation. You know, for psychological safety, one of the core principles of psychological safety is really centered on this question of, do I feel like I can share a perspective in the room and particularly a perspective that might be different than others? And will I be accepted for that and respected? Or will I be shut down? Will I be quieted? Will I be ostracized? There's different levels of that. You mentioned the, the identities component, which is important. We can't ignore that component. It's what I would also offer though is one of the common things that happens is men will talk over women in work meetings. Like it's just one of those things that happens. Now, do men consciously say, I'm going to talk over the woman in the room? It's not part of the thinking. It just sort of, it just happens because of the programming we get in our lives of the roles that men and women play. And so if we're not conscious of those biases that we have, then we can't tackle them in those moments and try to show up in a different way that creates safety for, in that particular example, for the woman in the room who has as much to offer as the, the man, or, you know, man or men in that room. And so there's this question about how do you create uh, different levels of psychological safety or different mechanisms to allow for those voices to be heard. So the first is being aware of biases, which I just mentioned. And so taking that time to take a step back. Another way that I like to think about it is to lean, lead it with curiosity. If we're in a leadership role and we're leading with curiosity, then that is an inherent way that will guide us to invite other voices into the room. And something that I do, you know, so my job is to try to create places that and workplaces and spaces that are welcoming to everyone, regardless of their lived experience. I am a cisgender white man who is gay and a person with a disability. And so like I have those experiences, but I've never stood in the shoes of a woman or in a person of color or a person with a physical disability. And so what I honor is that I need other perspectives as I'm doing my work. And so I invite my team to challenge me, to call me in when there's something they feel like that I might be missing and they will. And by the way, it's not always comfortable. They'll be like, Brian, that's really nice that you're trying to do that. And let me tell you the rest of the story that you need to hear, but they help me be better. And I try to really just encourage that so that I can do what I'm here to do in the best way I can. I think that's incredible. and. Why I wanted to kind of set the context of the conversation with really defining the realm of what's happening, you're also not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk. And the things I do prepping for a podcast, I always look up the companies, just figure out who it is. If if, if I don't align with the message, then I'm just somebody I'm not going to bring on the podcast, right? If it's out of, outside of my values, I don't really want to align with the conversation that could be conflicting to the value of you having the conversation. So a lot of what you're talking about, obviously, your values are aligned in a great way. Looking at your team is extraordinarily diverse. One thing that I love, and anytime I see something like this, I always want to highlight it because I think it's creative and I think it just highlights the culture of an organization. But you have a chief happiness officer named Bosco. And I want you to share a little bit about Bosco because I think there are so many valuable points of how integrating business, integrating life integrating entrepreneurship. There's so many different aspects that go into creating an enjoyable environment and chief happiness officer like Bosco, I think highlights what a great culture should be. So tell us a little bit about Bosco and how you came up with a chief happiness officer. Sure, sure. Well, 
One of my beliefs as a leader is in the importance of levity. You know, I do work that is serious and intense at times and emotional, and it should be all of those things. And we can also find joy and laugh along the way in the moments that feel appropriate. And I also believe that one of my reasons for being on this planet is to make people smile every day. So I always look for ways to do that. And Bosco came to live with me three and a half years ago. He was a medical research dog for seven years. He helped to uh, test heart medicines for humans. And when he finished working and retired, he came to be part of my family. And certainly I, I am so grateful that he's part of my life, particularly with the pandemic, as we all found ourselves quarantined. He was my company. And, you know, Bosco, when he shows up on screen, which he does on occasion, he just made people smile. And so we decided to give him the chief happiness officer title. And so, you know, his appearances on screen are fun. You know, one thing that's happened recently, which is it's always exciting and to see where an idea becomes a different idea and evolves. Our new brand manager, Natasha, she had this idea to create an avatar for Bosco. And now we share Bosco's biscuits, which are DEI tips. So you can find those on our social media. And so we're finding other ways to help Bosco be an advocate for our message. So he now has his own avatar. So he's a, he's becoming a celebrity. And the reason I love highlighting that, especially in my work, in my own businesses, but also in work with clients and helping people understand branding and identity of an organization. A lot of people don't understand that a brand really is the baseline virtual representation of your reputation, right? Who you are as a person is going to come out in your brand. And with you being the head of a brand like Hummingbird, having something like that, I think the, the reason I love highlighting it is it highlights the values you have as an individual, which is what's going to be projected into your organization. And bringing something like that, yes, it's levity, yes, it's silly, but at the end of the day, it's fun, it's engaging, it's something that now you have, he, Bosco, has, you know, he's a celebrity status, right? He's waiting for that blue check mark on Instagram, I'm sure. But it's just truly creative. And I would love to know from your point, as you're consulting with organizations, how do you integrate that? Because I think that's so key. Like, what would you recommend to an organization to add that levity, add that extra human, truly human element into organizations as they're trying to become more diverse? Yeah, I'm going to frame the question from a different angle, which is how we think about it. So what I would offer is that consulting practices generally start from the perspective of, I'm going to bring these things to you. And I have lots of experience, I have expertise, I have ideas, I have best practices, and we're going to come and we're going to make those things happen at your organization. And we, we do need to borrow from all of that. I, that's still important. And that's still why we get hired. We start our work from the voice of the employees at that organization. Every organization has its own culture, its own community, its own dynamic, its own needs, its own strengths and successes. And so our work, we always try to begin with what's happening in your organization? Where are your employees today? What does your organization need? What does it feel? What feels right for where you are in your journey? So we try to meet organizations and communities where they are. And then we say, how do we help you take where you are to where you want to be? What does that look like? And what are the steps we can infuse there? And what's authentic for you? So yes, I will try to bring my own, spe my own special brand of levity into those conversations. And what I find, but I think what's most important is what, what works for that, that community. What we have found though is, so it continues to intrigue me and I'm not sure I'll ever find the actual answer is we seem to find our way to organizations that are open to our values and are ready to borrow from what we do at Hummingbird to 
you know, leverage that in, within their four walls. So we get to work with some pretty phenomenal colleagues um, and leaders who, you know, would also believe in levity and believe in humanity. And so it sort of happens organically as well. There's a magnetism attached to that when you step into who you are and the brand that you are, but personally as an organization, like you've done with Hummingbird, you start drawing those people that really is magnetic. And that's where I talk about, I like to have conversations with folks like you that we're aligned in our, our core values and it becomes a better conversation, but that directly is replicated with clients. I mean, if you are out of alignment with clients that you don't agree with on a value standpoint, that gets really difficult for success on both sides. And there's a great work that you're doing here and so much awesome, so many amazing things. And I would really love to know, Brian, as you're doing all this, you're obviously building this great organization, you're making all this impact. What is the legacy you're wanting to leave in the world with all the amazing things you're doing Hummingbird? Legacy is a big word. And so there are still days that I'm still embracing the, the new role that I've stepped into as leading a firm like Hummingbird. And it's really been a privilege and an honor to just go on this journey. I guess with the way that I'd frame it is I, I spent 20 plus years in, in corporate roles. And like I said, worked for great companies with some great humans. And you know, along the way, I had some great successes and some failures certainly along the way and everything in between. But I always felt like there was a better way to create environments for me. And it's not about me specifically, but it, it raised that question of how do we do this for everyone? How do we create this place where humans thrive? And so my hope is really to ignite conversations that do change the ways that we engage the people that work at our organizations. Uh, I think those humans deserve better than so much of what we've given them over the years. And I also believe that there's a benefit to the, the companies themselves. So business imperative. I think most importantly, I just hope to ignite a conversation and I don't claim to have all the answers. So it really is about generating dialogue and discussion and helping others you know, rethink, reframe, and consider what does it look like to create spaces where we all feel like we can be ourselves and we can do the best work that we possibly can. And I absolutely love that is being able to be empowered, to be your true authentic self is something that I think at its core humanity wants and craves. So the fact that you're on this mission and creating this legacy is, is truly admirable. And I have no doubt you're going to accomplish that with everything you're doing. And I want to give the audience an opportunity. What's the best way to reach out to you, follow you, get the content, connect with you? All those good things. What's the best way for them to find you? Sure. I'll give a couple suggestions here. So the, the best way to interact with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, so just on my Brian McComick LinkedIn profile and my channel there, I share a series of content that's called Representation Matters. So it, it helps us reframe the ways we think about honoring the different lived experiences of humans. So if you're curious to learn more about that, that's a great place to get some of that content. And then Hummingbird Humanity, you just visit the website, Hummingbird humanity.com and you can sign up for our newsletter which comes out every other week and we share uh, a variety of content about bringing to life a human-centered workplace culture i love it brian thank you so much for the work you're doing and for your time today my friend thanks so much for having me zach i'm glad to be here thanks for tuning in to this episode of the tactical leadership podcast and i hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today i also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by night protection services if you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does five to ten million dollars a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25 percent insurance costs be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com. 